go loopy loo. Here we go loopy light. Here we go loopy loo. All on a Saturday night. Hello, this is Luby with Luby's Lullabies podcast, and we're going to be looking a little bit more about the book The Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Barbary. This is one of the translated books that I was discussing. It's very eloquent, and the style of writing is quite different from the other books that I have been discussing, and I think that the variety is quite good to take on board and to have a look and see whether it's your cup of tea or not. I'm going to be reading just the chapter, it's chapter two actually, um, entitled The Miracles of Art, and you'll get a sense of the style of the book from this particular chapter. It is quite a lovely book, and it is quite different. You might find it Uh, A little bit challenging in as much as it's not a quick read, that's for sure. Anyway, here we go. My name is Rene. I am 54 years old. For 27 years, I have been the concierge at number 7 Rue de Grenelle, a fine hotel particulière with a courtyard and private gardens divided into eight luxury apartments, all of which are inhabited, all of which are immense. I'm a widow. I'm short, ugly and plump. I have bunions on my feet, and if I'm to credit certain early mornings of self-inflicted disgust, the breath of a mammoth. I did not go to university. I've always been poor, discreet and insignificant. I live alone with my cat, a big lazy Tom, who has no distinguishing features other than the fact that his paws smell bad when he is annoyed. Neither he nor I make any effort to take part in the social doings of our respective species. Because I am rarely friendly, although always polite, I am not liked, but am tolerated nonetheless. I correspond so very well to what social prejudice has collectively construed to be a typical French concierge that I am one of the multiple cogs that make the great universal illusion turn, the illusion according to which life has a meaning that can be easily deciphered. And since it has been written somewhere that concierges are old, ugly and sour, so has it been branded in fiery letters on the pediment of the same imbecilic firmament that the aforementioned concierges have rather large dithering cats who sleep all day on cushions covered with crocheted cases. Similarly, it has been decreed that the concierges watch television interminably while their rather large cats doze and that the entrance to the building must smell of peau de feu, cabbage soup, or a country-style cassoulet. I have the extraordinary good fortune to be the concierge of a very high-class sort of building. It was so humiliating for me to have to cook such loathsome dishes that when Monsieur de Broglie, the state's councillor on the first floor, intervened, an invention he described to his wife as being courteous but firm, whose only intention was to rid our communal habitat of such plebeian effluvia, it came as an immense relief once I had concealed as best I could beneath an expression of reluctant compliance. That was 27 years ago. Since then, I have gone every day to the butcher's to buy a slice of ham or some calf's liver, which I slip into my net bag between my packet of noodles and my bunch of carrots. I then obligingly flaunt these pauper's victuals, now much improved by the noteworthy fact that they do not smell.
Because I am a pauper in a house full of rich people, and this display nourishes both the consensual cliché and my cat Leo, who has become rather large by virtue of these meals, that should have been mine, and who stuffs them liberally and noisily with macaroni and butter and pork from the delicatessen which I am free without any olfactory disturbances or anyone suspecting a thing to indulge my own culinary prolificities. Far from irksome was the issue of the television. In my late husband's day, I did go along with it, for the consistency of his viewing spared me the chore of watching. From the hallway of the building, you could hear the sound of the thing, and that sufficed to per perpetuate the charade of social hierarchy. But once Lucien had passed away, I had to think hard to find a way to keep up appearances. Alive, he freed me from this iniquitous obligation. Dead, he has deprived me of his lack of culture, the indispensable bullock against the people's suspicions. I found a solution thanks to a non-buzzer. A chime linked to an infrared mechanism now alerts me to the comings and goings in the hallway, which has eliminated the need for anyone to buzz to notify me of their presence if I happen to be out of earshot. For on such occasions I am actually in the back room where I spend most of my hours of leisure and where, sheltered from the noise and smells that my condition imposes, I can live as I please without being deprived of the information vital to any sentry who is coming in or going out, with whom and at what time. Thus the residents going down the hall would hear the muffled sounds indicating a television was on, and they tend to lack rather than abound in imagination. They would form a mental image of the concierge sprawled in front of her television set. As for me, cosily installed in my lair, I heard nothing, but I knew that somebody was going by. So I would go to the adjacent room, peek through the spy hole located opposite the stairs, and well hidden behind the net curtains, I would inquire discreetly as to the identity of the passer-by. With the advent of video cassettes and subsequently the DVD divinity, things changed rad uh, radically, much to the enrichment of my happy hours. As it is not terribly common to come across a concierge waxing ecstatic over death on, on Venice, death in Venice, sorry, or to bear strains of Marla wafting through her lodge, I delved into my hard-earned conjugal savings and bought a second television set where I could operate in my hideaway. Thus the television in the front room, guardian of my clandestine activities, would bleat away and I was no longer forced to listen to inane nonsense fit for the brain of a clan. I was in the back room, clearly euphoric, my eyes filling with tears in the miraculous presence of art. So that's the first opening chapter, and it is very eloquent, as you see. The vocabulary is quite extensive. It's of a ilk that I think is very interesting, and the whole atmosphere then opens up into what happens with Renee and the apartment block. So she really has this lie to live, or she wants to live. She is very educated, albeit we don't know how, um, because she was very poor and she never went to university. But her, her desires and her um, wishes to listen and read and do everything cultural is quite the opposite of how her she is portraying herself to her um, 
employers in the apartment building. So that was the first, uh, the second chapter, actually, of The Elegance of the Hedgehog. I'm more than happy to read you something else in due course about this, and we can look at it further. And in the meantime, if you have any comments you can make to me direct, I'm more than happy to listen to them. You can email me at luby, L-O-O-B-Y, at luby's lullabies as in the podcast, dot com. That's luby at lubyslullabies.com. I'd be more than delighted to hear from you. Thank you.